Hello and welcome. Anyone who's been to Merchant City Yoga on a Sunday knows how much I love catching up with everyone over a cup of my freshly brewed spiced chai. These Sunday chai sessions really bring everyone together. A true celebration of friendship, community and connection. I want to try and capture some of that magic and share it with you at home. So I've invited some familiar faces from our MCY family to chat with me over a cuppa. I'm affectionately calling them the chai sessions. Pop the kettle on, get yourself comfy and come and join us. So I am so excited to welcome James here (laughs) for my first ever in-person chai session. Now, some of you might know I've been doing these chai sessions, having a chat over a cuppa uh, with some friends since the deepest, darkest depths of lockdown. And when I've been doing that, in my imagination, I've always been sitting here right on this spot, chatting in person. So I'm so excited to finally have the opportunity to do that. And for those of you who don't know James, um, James is a good friend and regular visitor um, to Merchant City Yoga here. And he is a particularly gifted teacher in terms of sharing uh, the philosophy uh, of yoga with us and for making it really relevant and valuable to us in this kind of modern day and, and modern age we're living in. So thank you so much for agreeing to come and join me. Always nice to be here, Judy. Yeah, yeah so... I know we've done a chai session before. Yes. Um, Really good chat then. And so what I thought I would like to ask you about this time is what has all the stuff that we do on our yoga mat, our yoga postures, got to do with yoga? Okay. It's a good question. And I was actually, you know, it's something that I've thought about a lot. It's when I want to communicate to people. So thank you for that question. Yeah. So I think, so I'll talk about my own experience. Yeah. Yeah, When I first started doing yoga asana, I'd already had a certain type of practice for many years because I grew up playing sports and I was taught to stretch by one of my basketball teachers. And I was taught to do like this deep breathing. She would teach to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth while I was stretching and like, you know, how to rest between games and all this type of stuff if we were playing in a tournament, stuff like that. And she'd also given me, my basketball coach when I was a teenager, kind of uh, routines. Things that were as much about training concentration. So, for example, in basketball, the free throw shot, for example, you might be taking it with the game on the line. So you would practice by, you know, like you do sprints or you do defensive uh, drills and you, you know, you're down in a kind of low squat moving quickly and then you take the free throws. And like circuit training stuff. So I, I'd been trying to, I've been doing physical things to try to balance my body for many years. And when I encountered, let's call it classic modern Hatha Yoga, so things like Ashtanga Yoga, Iyengar Yoga, And when I went to my first Ashtanga Vinyasa class, it was a fully led primary series class, but with a teacher who made it very accessible. So there were always variations and it was quite, it was like a two hour class. There was plenty of, you know, plenty of time. 
And I just felt so amazing after that class. And the key difference I think that I experienced in that class compared to things I'd experienced playing sports, sometimes when I played basketball, I would get super high, everything would be flowing, but that didn't happen every time I played. Uh, like when I was at university in my first year, <laughs> I remember some of my flatmates, oh, this basketball, it makes a difference. Yeah, like I come back and they could tell if I've had a good training session or not. And around the time I started to really get into yoga, I'd been rock climbing and I had some amazing experiences rock climbing. I felt like, wow, it's just so present. But when I went to that yoga class, I don't need to be in a beautiful locale where there's a rock face and a bolted sport route. I don't need to be with other people who are playing the game, football, basketball, whatever it was, in the same spirit and a level in which I can engage and everybody's kind of engaged together. Just me with the agency of my breath and my awareness, I can invite this state that makes me feel really, really fantastic. And so I started to think, well, where does the magic reside? And I started to, because I've had these experiences in other activities. Yeah, because that's the question, isn't it? It's like, what makes a yoga practice yoga? Yes. As opposed to sport and movement yeah. and, and all of those other wonderful, amazing things that Because that once, do. I would say, once one understands the principles, then housework, gardening, playing football, basketball, visiting the temple of power, the weightlifting gym, or practicing a martial art, these can all be yoga practices as soon as one really understands the principles. And so classic modern Hatha Yoga, what it does, what it, what it facilitates or allows or invites, if it's well-guided, is an understanding of this interplay between heart and tongue, between engagement and relaxation. So, for example, when I'm holding a posture, I can make this posture very, very strong. But if I make it extremely strong, so much so that nobody could move me from that posture, it's like I'm going to be in excessive tension. It's not going to be at all sustainable, so it's not really strong. Similarly, if I'm just loosey-goosey, completely relaxed, maybe it won't have any staying power. Yeah. So life, let's be realistic about it, involves change and it involves challenge in like life is difficult yeah but that's the fun it's supposed to be challenging there's been this ridiculous fairy tale we've been fed that life should be a box of roses no the rose itself when the rose grows how does that thick thorny stem feel as it grows from that tender little stemling into the robust rose that can survive the winter and get more and more beautiful season after season that growth itself is painful for the rose, but that painful growth allows this amazing beauty to bring fragrance all around it. And then even in the difficult times, we're reminded that ah, the difficulty begets beauty, or it can. So I would suggest that when we work with yoga postures, we can learn about playing this edge or dancing on this tightrope between effort and relaxation. Because sometimes people say things like, ah, oh, you just need to go with the flow. Mm, well, going with the flow sometimes is optimal. 
when the river is wide and flowing smoothly, yeah, mm. go with the flow. But if I just go with the flow, sooner or later I'll be stranded on a sandbank. I'll be drifting off into some oxbow lake and yeah. never going where I want to go. Stuck in an eddy. Or I'll yep. be cut to, I'll be flying off a waterfall to a very, <laughs> you know. So sometimes I really need to paddle. So I would say yoga teaches to work with the forces of nature. So we can get in the flow and maintain flow as far as possible through the challenging times, through the ups and downs when things get more supportive and less supportive. So when we're doing the physical yoga practices, really they're based on this principle of the balance of opposites. So yoga recognizes that, yoga means balance, let's say. I mean, can we describe yoga in lots of different ways? But one of the classic definitions from the Bhagavad Gita, yoga is samatva, it's evenness, balance, integration. So integration, balance of what? Of all our parts. And one way we can approach that or work with that is between engagement and relaxation, expansion and contraction, heating and cooling. So one thing that I found with yoga asana practice in the winter, if I do asana practice in the morning and I'm moving the spine, I'm moving my joints, I'm inviting energy to flow smoothly through the body, I'll maintain warmth much more easily than if I don't do that type of practice in the morning. Similarly, if it's in a hot climate, if I do that practice in the morning, I'll maintain relative cool throughout the hot time of the day much more easily. Because what happens is when we work at the physical and physiological level to foster balance and we invite all the, all the different systems, the organs, the muscles, the nerves, when we invite them to come into cohesion and balance, they can do their job more easily. So what I would say is that yoga asana practice is not yoga practice. It's a preparation to make it easier to do yoga practice the rest of the time. Because yoga practice is everything we do all the time. When we take recourse to yoga techniques, such as taking time to meditate and turn the powers of our awareness to a subtler plane than what we're dealing with when we're going out and about in the world, dealing with all our responsibilities, we give all of those powers the opportunity to kind of tune in like an orchestra. Before they make the beautiful movement, they've got to tune in and make sure they're playing in the same key. And maybe you're going to see the orchestra, they'll all be limbering up their face muscles, their fingers, whatever they're going to be using. It's a lovely sight to behold. Then they make this beautiful sound. And in between movements, they tune up again. Mm. So when we're doing yogasana, we, uh, what's the first instruction when you're teaching Ashtanga? Yeah? Samastitihi. Cultivate summer evenness in a steady, sustainable way. Stand in steady easefulness. So we are inviting our whole system to get tuned in and to some degree accustomed to the experience, the feeling of being, relatively speaking, at one. So then, if we're coming out of balance, we've got a reference, we can come back into balance yeah. more easily. So I remember when I first, in the early years of my yoga practice, I, I visited some friends in Italy, and I was a student in Italy before I was practicing yoga. And I was on a similar train journey to I'd been just a few years before. And I just remember noticing how I was moving my luggage in a way that was more easeful for my body. It was like the work that I'd been doing on the yoga mat was transferring into my day-to-day -day movements and actions and behavior. So I would be finding a way to become slightly more adept 
in my movement, slightly more skillful, slightly more. This is another definition in, in the Gita. After Krishna says yoga is evenness, he says it's karmasukaushal and it's skillfulness in the things that we do. So not using so much energy to close the drawer or take down the washing, whatever it is, or lifting something heavy, just finding a way to lift it in a way that's more nourishing than potentially hazardous. So I would say that one of the initial ways that the yoga asana mat-based practice translates out into life is it gives us a powerful lens to see where we are inefficient in our movement or our attitude. Because that's another way you can describe asana mm. attitude. In French, that would be one of the ways it might be translated. The attitude of the, the posture, yeah? So how is my attitude to life? How is my... How do I present myself in the face of the things that life brings me? So sometimes in yoga asana, in some forms of yoga asana, you stay a long time in a posture. Yeah. Or longer than might feel you'd like to. Comfortable. So then the idea is in that discomfort that's not painful, that's not overly stressful, in that then one invites a response, a conscious response that is mitigating that stress and reminding the system that, no, 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 there's no need to be stressed here. I can ride this wave calmly. So then when we're in day-to-day -day life and a stressor emerges, we've trained our system to meet a stressor without rushing into fight or flight, but mitigating that input in a way that allows us to respond more easily, but still skillfully. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely think that's one of the things about a posture-based practice, isn't it? It helps us learn how to be uncomfortable yeah. or be discerning about intensity yeah. of sensation and decide what it is first yes. before then yeah. responding. Another thing about, about posture as well is, I remember when I was first getting into asana, one of my teachers was talking about the way that it can invite more openness in the body. So when the body's more, and you, this is all relative, of course, you don't want to be too open, of course, but very commonly these days, a lot of people, especially when I'm talking about myself, the shoulders get, the front of the body gets relatively speaking tight and strong. The back of the body gets relatively speaking loose and weak. So we can get a lot of imbalances because of working at a table or a desk, driving, mm. all of these things. So if you, when I went to school and I, I studied, I did, you know, a table. So there were these imbalances in the body. Yeah, I was just talking about the heavy phone head the other day. You know, when I'm sitting oh. at, in the car at traffic lights, at pedestrian yes. crossings, watching everyone crossing. Yes. With the head yeah. forward. I just want to leap out the car. <laughs> so these I've managed patterns. to restrain myself so far. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we see it all around. So many things in life are pulling us out of balance. Mm. So regularly, repeatedly reminding ourselves it's nice to be in a more balanced configuration. Energy flows better. This actually helps us notice and respond and take mitigating action when we are liable to come out of balance again. So one it was a Tai Chi master I met. He talked about when he's on a travel on a journey, he's always moving. In his, you know, he says, it's a, I think it's an old Chinese saying, the, the door that's always moving, the hinges never rust. 
and the same in the body. So when we invite energy to flow, so when we're doing mat-based classical Hatha Yoga, we're inviting the posture to kind of reconfigure, to remember the, sweet, the sweeter spot. It might not get to the sweet spot where everything's perfect, but if I've got some imbalance, then gently, patiently, steadily, inviting myself to move into a configuration that's allowing energy to flow that little bit more easily. Um, so, you know, for many people, the class-based, mat-based, what, what's kind of been called the modern postural yoga, mm. but the postures we do on the mat, for many people, that's their gateway. Mm -hmm. It may be their only experience of yoga. They may not know or appreciate that, you know, there's, there's a kind of vaster um, context to those postures. And, and even if they do, sometimes yoga philosophy, because it is so vast, mm. um, can be a little bit challenging for us and can feel very intimidating and overwhelming. Is the posture-based stuff enough? Because I said, I mentioned before we, we started recording that I was um, Googling this morning looking for a quote and I think it's Iyengar and I think it's possibly in Light of Yoga but I could be completely wrong about that where he suggests that even if all you do are yoga postures yeah. then that can still bring profound benefit and it also made me think of you know the, the bit in the Gita where um, it says that, that no effort yeah, on ever lost. Yeah. the spiritual path is ever lost. Yeah. So it, is that enough? Is well, I, I would, the thing I would say is it's not really so much about what you do, but how you do it. So one could practice a yoga technique, and it could be a posture-based technique, or it could, well, meditation is also a posture-based technique in a certain sense, and one could practice that technique for a long, long time without really entering the practice of yoga. Hmm. Similarly, one could just do a little bit, but really start practicing. So I was reading M. Scott Peck, the, the book, The Road Less Traveled, hmm. and he talks about sometimes people go to a th to therapy, but they don't, they don't actually begin therapy for years because they they just skirt around it, they don't get into the work. So if the asana practice, the posture practice becomes a means for deep, ongoing, honest inquiry that's helping us expand our understanding of ourselves and basically die to who we thought we were and give birth to a vaster version of who we, a vaster understanding of who we are, then that can be a very um, potent vehicle or carriage. But I think it's the attitude that makes the difference. It's am I doing this to escape or am I doing this to uncover, recover, discover and explore? So Practice yoga, many types of yoga practice can make us feel good or they can be used to anesthetize. But the real point of yoga is to 
discover more of who we are. So when we discover that we like a yoga posture practice, it can easily become the golden chain that's binding us. And they say in the Indian tradition, golden chains will bind you just as surely as the rusty iron ones. Yes. So often when people begin yoga, we can think of it like the word sport, yeah? Like the, the root of the word sport, as I understand, is to export. So when we play the game, it, it takes us out of the ordinary. It takes us yeah. into a new space of playfulness, of inquiry. When we play, we go beyond the known boundaries. If I'm playing a sport or a game, there are usually rules. Those rules, they create a confinement which then invites creativity. And when I have to do things creatively, I can redefine my understanding of myself. So similarly, when I'm practicing with a technique, that technique creates a kind of confinement which becomes a, a lens for inquiry. But it could also become a blinkered space in which I just kind of check out. So to me, that's the real key. It's like, what am I using it for? And a technique that one is familiar with can be an easy place to hide. And so the real challenge, the real opportunity is the yogic practitioner, whatever method we're using, whether it's physical practice, intellectual practice, devotional practice, whatever, we always work from gross to subtle. So we invite harmony as best we can. We invite balance and integration and skillfulness as best we can. Here and now, no effort's ever lost. We might think, well, I'm still so imbalanced. <laughs> but now I'm aware of it. So I'm doing a, a meditation practice and I sit and I, oh my God, I'm doing my mind. Well, my mind's all over the place. Fantastic. Now I've become empowered to actually know what chaos is going on in here. Are I you thought, there this oh, yeah, morning? I've got, it all to, I've got it all together. I'm No, my mind's, oh, there's so many, oh, all these old things that are, I'm still troubled by that thing from when I was a teenager or that thing that happened when I was, you know, whatever age I was. I still, I, oh, I feel anxious about, oh, now I've seen it. That's a great meditation because it's empowering me. Similarly, I might do the physical practice and I think, oh, I wasn't doing, oh, I've just been on autopilot the last hour. I've just been kind of going through the motions. But now I've noticed. So tomorrow I'll do it. No, never mind tomorrow. Right now, from this breath, from this posture, from this point, almost even if it's the last two minutes of practice, let me be here. And so no effort's ever wasted. As soon as I noticed that I wasn't doing it with full presence, as best as I could now, it's an empowerment. So I think with asana... Because when somebody says that's all you need to do, what do they mean by asana? Because asana means the seat of our awareness. So really, Stila Sukhamasana potentially describes asana in the Yoga Sutra. It is the seat of the awareness that is steady and easeful. And sukham literally means, come means space, so good, agreeable. So there is, the, the, the awareness is seated in a space of sustainable good vibrations. So if that's the asana practice, well, yeah, that's all you need to bring yourself into balance. But are you cultivating that all day long? Are you using the time you work on the mat to train ways of being, patterns of movement, patterns of response, patterns of awareness that help you maintain awareness the rest of the time? Or are you just going into these familiar postures that make you feel good and invite some stretch and space in the body and you feel great, I've done it. Yeah. 
No. Take a snap, for instance. Forget those past simple and perfect tenses when you're talking about yoga practice. Oh, I've done my practice today. I did my practice early today. No, 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 no. Practices all the time throughout the past tense. Yoga practice in the past tense means you're an enlightened master. You're, re and you're gone. You know, you don't, no more desires. You've no more desire to live because you've finished with life. Because you've realized your essence is beyond life and death. Until then, no, yeah. I did it, I've done it. No, no, no. This morning when I was working with Asana, I experienced and now I'm taking it. Oh, yes. You know, because I mean, certainly in my experience, I, I came to yoga class for very physical reasons. And even now, I probably couldn't put my finger on what kept me coming back. But all I knew is that it made me and life a little bit yeah. better. And I kind of jokingly call it yoga magic and, and suggest to people that even if all they do is turn up on a yoga mat and keep going through the postures, the movements, that over time, all they have to do is keep turning up and keep doing that and over time, it does seem to me that the practice changes you and how you see things and how you feel about things. And it maybe just helps you see yourself a little bit more clearly. Well, I think if one keeps turning up to practice, then one's gonna to have to encounter resistance to change because the practice will change us if we do it. Yeah. So we are basically emboldening ourselves for the real practice of changing our understanding of reality and ourselves into a slightly vaster one, step by patient, steady step in good humor, recognizing that, oh, <laughs> here we go again. Oh, I thought I know. So. Yeah. Thought I'd got that sorted. Nope. <laughs> yeah. So it, it becomes this, this lens that empowers and emboldens and encourages us to keep exploring. But I think that, that, that spirit of exploration is so important. That willingness to look in ways that reach beyond the ways that we're familiar with reaching. So when we're exploring in an asana, we've got, it's a space of exploration. You know, in a posture that you've done many times, oh, I'm familiar with it. So then, once I'm familiar with it, I can go into a subtler realm of exploration. And I think also one of the things that's so valuable in the world we live in is that the, the asana practice becomes a kind of container where I can really tune in to the truth if I'm willing to. We're bombarded with so much stuff that's just a sliver of reality. It's just a, a perspective on reality. Yoga wants each of us to be the sovereign of our own experience. It's about being the king or queen of your life, taking responsibility for our own experience, our own actions. So when we're doing the postures, it's nobody else's body, it's my body. So this, let's say the development of self-trust and autonomy can really be empowered through yoga posture. But another thing when you were speaking before, Judy, about the physical thing, sometimes people have said to me, like years ago when I taught full-time asana classes, I was taught full-time in a yoga studio, some, I would, you know, I would do some, I would always sing a little bit in the class and 
weaving. I do these theme classes with philosophy and stuff, and sometimes people say, "Oh no, I'm just just I'm just here for the physical thing." It's like, well, this physical body, this is our animal self, and we are animate beings. We have a soul. We have a life spark of something. We have an awareness. So. You, why do you want to do a physical practice? Because you want to feel good in your bodily vehicle. When your bodily vehicle feels out of whack, you, you feel out of whack. So to me, this compartmentalization of physical life and mental life and intellectual life and sensual life is a lie. It's just a ridiculous fiction. Mm-hmm. And it's based in part on this strange system we come through in convent education where we you know, the, the, the timetable is mapped out in these periods, the little boxes, and we study maths here and languages there and humanities there as if they're separate. Life is not like that. Everything is connected. Mm. So my physical body is the home of my spirit. And someone says, well, I'm not a spiritual person. If you're not a spiritual person, you're dead. The spirit means the breath of life. We're all spiritual beings because yeah. we are enlivened by the breath. Yeah, I mean, that can, that's kind of come as well from how conventionally we learn about the body and anatomy and, and physiology. Which and, is also, as and, science, mod, real honest scientists know this, it's a complete load of rubbish. Yeah. yeah. The body is not like a car. No. <laughs> You know, and all of our <laughs> Maybe technological that's a conversation for another day. James. <laughs> but the, the, the technological advancements, there's still nothing. This is the most amazing thing in the in the whole but universe. But it's, it, it's going full circle. I mean, again, this is probably a conversation for another day. But um, there's been a, a recent article in the New Scientist about fascia, and like they're now discovering like receptors and yes. the fascia, and you know, there's a lot more receptors in the fashion than there is even in muscle cells. So actually, the kind of the bits in between our body are much more fundamental in yeah. terms of how we experience the world and yeah. life <laughs> than um, The bits in between. Yeah. Well, that, that's a really interesting <laughs> that you said it like that, Judy, because you know, yoga means junction. So these bits in between, how do things join up? So when we do a posture practice, we might invite all our senses to join in at the same time. And we've been, we may become aware of many junction points of the way that our body is connecting to the earth beneath us, the space around us, the way that the energy is flowing through the body, the way that the breath allows things to be amplified or softened. So we're training ourselves in greater receptivity or attunement to the interconnectedness of life that we have never ever been separate from but is still waiting for us to discover more fully. So if one has a yoga practice of any stripe or description, (laughs) but let's just say it's a, generally speaking, doing these yoga postures or yogic sequences is one of the main lenses you explore through. This in and of itself is a wonderful lens to recover, uncover, reveal, tune in more to this interconnectedness of the breath of life, the energy that is moving through me, that I'm part of. Once we start to do a practice over some time, sooner or later, everybody, as far as I can tell, sooner or later, comes to recognize that 
my attitude needs to change. The way that I was pursuing the practice or relating to the practice isn't really how I want to relate to myself or life. So yoga happens in relationship and so just the way I relate to my body and my energy in physical space and time when I do that practice, this can be a very powerful and transformative lens for how I relate to myself, how I value my time, how I look after my body, how I present myself, to how I meet life and meet reality the rest of the time. So I don't like those types of blanket statements that just say, just do this. But, so just do asana, just, it's all about meditation. Or it's, just, it's all about the heart, never mind the mind. It's like, well, everybody's different. So what I would say is, as long as it's helping each of us expand, become more steady in the dis-ease of life, in the craziness of life, more relaxed in the inevitable uncertainty that we are all part of and blessed to be part of, then it's working. Is it helping me feel a little bit more at ease in my own skin? Now, for some people, it might be really, really helpful to do physical yoga practices, physical postures, to help with particular conditions or situations that they're in. And for other people, they might not need it. You know, I'll oh, just go for a walk, go for a swim, and they're absolutely fine. Uh, so I know some people who, they really don't need to do yoga asana. They can sit and meditate happily. They can use other types of physical uh, exploration to nourish the body. And they can cultivate the steady awareness through other types of more focused yoga practice. But for many, many people, yoga asana is such a rich resource to help the bodily vehicle then become more attuned or more... Um, let's say, rehabilitated into its innate capacity to help us be more Even balanced. just helping us get to know our bodies, it just it, it feels yes. like it's a bit of a cliche now, isn't it, that in kind of modern life, um, everyone tends to have to live from here mm -hmm. up rather than from here down. And that whole inhabiting your body and getting to yeah. know it again is actually really unfamiliar for a and lot so of valuable. people. And so valuable, yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. James, and I think we're going to have to stop. I'd just here. like to say one yeah, more thing. So I was going to say, so whatever you have to say just the, to finish, I think the, then... The thing about, that I would say is also super valuable and about being embodied is to, to do the things that human beings evolved to be in harmony with. So look at the sky, feel the soil, do things outdoors. Let your body connect to the rhythms of nature. This is also very, very helpful. So if we do a posture-based practice indoors as a regular thing, also very helpful to connect that to the outdoors and doing things outside. Observing um, the horizon really being present with, if you have a chance to be amongst trees or in, a, in some forested area or observing the natural world can also be very helpful. Um, just like we're observing the natural microcosm when we're in that lens of yoga asana. The same subtle receptive awareness, take that out when you look at life. 
that's a really nice way to just bridge. So I think when I'm looking at my, I'm observing myself, I'm, how I'm related to myself, with all my senses, with my mental awareness, with my emotional intent, with the way I'm holding myself physically, take that out in the way you relate to, you know, if you have pets, when you go out into nature, that's, I think, also a very neglected thing in, in, for so many people that you mentioned about this living in the head. It's become a cliche because it is, for many yeah. people, very easy to think. Just there's so many things coming at us. But that's fantastic because that is a super practical thing that everybody who comes to yoga class can start to think about doing is that the attention that they pay in class on their yoga mat, you know, like I was saying at the beginning, sometimes it can it can feel quite unattainable to 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 start to bridge the practice mm -hmm. and class to to out there. But that's a really practical thing people can do is just that attention and that space they allow themselves on the mat within yeah. a class start to cultivate that habit. Yeah. Out in well, James, thank you so much. Most welcome, Judy. For doing my first in person. Now we've warmed up, like, now I can... Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know we're just getting going. Um, but definitely, we'll do it again. Thank you. I me. have many questions. Yeah, there's so much to explore. To put to you. Yeah. yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you, Judy. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed our chat. If you've got any questions, you can email me or find us on social media. I'll see you here next time.